Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based science. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, it is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could, aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step. All right, people, the Kosha countdown to Earth Day continues with Pranamaya Kosha. As we explored through casual conversations, the value of working with our vital energy, our inner energy, our, our vitality. Now, pranamaya kosha, prana is vital energy. It is our life force. Sometimes it's called chi, you know, in Chinese medicine, and it rides the breath. It is moving through our body through the nadis, these little channels. But we can imagine as we're working with pranamaya kosha that if, for example, and I'm going to stop because, you know, I'm very infamous for not fi finishing an actual sentence, but Think about when you're stressed and your breath and how shallow it may be and how it can create an agitated experience. Think about deep, languorous breath and how that brings a different kind of experience. Both of those experiences are directly related to your vitality, to your life force, and that rides your breath in a way. So in the context of this conversation, that's kind of what we're talking about. So there are many different ways in, there are many different ways we can have this conversation and we'll explore different avenues even within this, these parameters. But just to give you a little hint, Pranamaya Kosha, working with, and Kosha again is layers. Go back to season one if you want the more in-depth on the Koshas. But looking at the earth and our human experience through the lens of Pranamaya Kosha, our vitality and how we get to work with it because it is workable, it's malleable. Yeah. It is malleable. And I started my research. And the first thing that I found when I started reading with how breath and the earth are related was an article about uh, a man where they found a tree limb in his lungs and it was green. So they say, I started reading. I mean, who is not going to take that clickbait, right? That you find oh a tree branch in a man's lungs. He goes in for surgery for a tumor and tree branch. Of course, the story was debunked, but at first they're <laughs> like, the story's going on and I'm reading and they're saying, maybe this botanist inhaled a seed and then it started to grow in his lungs. And I was like, this is fascinating. But of course, by the time I got through the article, they're like, <laughs> if that was true, we'd have watermelons growing in our belly, in our lungs <laughs> or our belly. So oh my gosh. It was exciting enough for me to click and read. So, welcome everyone to our discussion on breathing and the planet Earth. <laughs> the living planet Earth. Yeah, you know, after last week's episode, we had um, a listener who was actually a guest first season, 
who had was very excited about this connection between the soil and the body. And she had mentioned the gut microbiome, which we didn't actually talk about, but I wanted to, since we're kind of the boss of this, we get to backtrack a little and say, you know, Google it. There's some interesting stuff. We're not going to re redo that conversation, but that was something that I thought, ooh, missed opportunity. So we created other opportunities and you get to now explore if that is something that <laughs> that tickled your fancy. All right. So where are we going to go? I'm going to step into the connection between, it might not surprise people since we're talking about the earth, but trees and breathing is a lens that I'm looking at. And I didn't see this today, but I've seen this before that, and I'm not sure, so I cannot tell you where I found it, but that trees are essential for our survival because there are ventilators. And I just, I thought that was such an interesting comparison and a set of words to use. Trees are our ventilators. But the reason is, is because they process our air. So we have this symbiotic relationship with the air that we breathe and the air that we share. And in deepest of gratitude, the trees are exhaling oxygen. Of course, it's not limited to just one thing. You know, we breathe in air. There's many things in it, but they exhale the oxygen that we need and they take in our carbon dioxide. So uh, what better we way know, to connect? At least we know where our carbon dioxide is going, where it's landing. <laughs> that it's, you know, in the continuum of energy that keeps this relationship going. Like that's the piece. Every time you say something like that in that sort of realm, it is another reminder of our interdependence and how, you know, it, how important it is for us to take care of ourselves before we can even think of taking care of the earth. Like there's, or no, I shouldn't say before, but even in tandem, because our health is directly related to the earth's health. And so these practices that we do, I know sometimes people say, oh, well, what a waste of time, just sitting hours, you know, quiet or doing this or that. But we have to start with the practices inside, I think. And like, just as you were sort of implying so, about internal mechanism of the earth, right. and I'm going to, because you were saying something before we started talking that was very exciting about the breathing earth. And I just, that was tickling my, my lungs a little bit. So I'm going to throw it over to you. Sure. I, you know, I find it fascinating when I Google, uh, what I Googled was breathing in the living earth or the living earth and breath, something like that. I wanted to like expand the way that I looked at it. And the very first thing I came, which of course will be in the show notes, is a YouTube video of uh, this scene F that a Canadian somebody, some sort of a photographer, videographer, a Canadian videographer took. And it looked like the earth was breathing. It was rising up and then coming back down, just like our abdomen would when we breathe. And you know, it was a little bit weird to look at, but I know what was happening and that it was explained later in the video. It was a windy day and it was in a pine forest, I believe, and all of the root systems were intertwined. So as the trees were waving back and forth in the wind, they were lifting the root web, for, yeah, for lack of a better word, this web of roots up and they were pulling up the earth with it. But the video is, it's only a minute, so it's worth the time to go look, but it physically looked like the earth was breathing. Was that in the same thing that you saw the bronchial tree? Because that was also that image of like, I think they go side by side. It would be 
I don't want to start talking about other things and lose this connection. Yeah, I'll go so, off the track. No, 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 no. So the care of tre trees, because the trees are like our lungs. And if you've ever seen that image, again, it's easily Googled. Maybe we can put it in the show art um, as well. That when you look at the all of the branches within the lungs, so if you look at an image of the lungs, inside those bronchial tubes, all of it looks like a tree. And you'll often see uh, this image of tree branches and leaves sitting next to a transparent image of the lungs. And the architecture is, and I can speak about architecture because season two, we were <laughs> architects. Even though we're back to one, we might as well link them all together. Uh, the architecture of the two look very, very similar. And I always found that fascinating even before we were looking at this topic because it shows how similar our makeup is for it, all living things, not just all human lungs look the same, but our lungs look like trees and branches. So the visual connection excites me. I love that. And I always wonder about the people who discover this stuff. You know, like cutting a cauliflower down the center and seeing how it, you know, it's good for our brains, but it looks like our brain if it were bisected. Um, and other fruit and, and flora out there that correlate to different parts of the body and our experience of being sentient beings in this world. And that to me is just another, it's like the universe saying, pay attention here because this will give you a clue as to that, you know, connecting all these dots. And didn't you meet an artist at Snipes who gave you a piece of art that was like something from the natural world that looked like a human body piece? Was it one of the Grateful Dead cover band things that we went to? She gave me a piece of the earth. I can't remember what it is. I'd have to go look, but it was the heart brain connection. So yes, yeah, it was the heart and the brain, but they were also, and I, I don't remember what they are, but they were natural earth elements that she brought together and they look like the heart and the lungs but she had them connected. It's beautiful. It's hanging in, in my other room. <laughs> That's so cool. And, you know, just even like the seasons, the, when we're talking about the vital energy, our life force, you know, think about, you know, people who, and I know plenty of people who have seasonal disorder, you know, that when it's darker during winter, there's the, the sense of the vital life force, you know, sort of hibernating with the bears going down deep and that's that's an experience. It's not always like, oh, it's not always a restful thing, but certainly something to look at and how certain people in springtime just, they spring up, they have a, a bounce in their step. There's a different kind of vitality that summer and fall also kind of lend themselves to affecting us in very direct ways and indirect ways. And I know, you know, depending on the climate you're in, I assume, you know, if you're living in a sort of fairly temperate, consistent climate. I'm curious about those seasonal shifts that affect us, even if the weather isn't so extremely expressed. And our winter this year wasn't so extremely expressed. I kind of feel like we're turning into Seattle over here. It was very wet and kind of temperate and, and all of that. But another way that the earth and the systems of the planet reflect the vital life force of the, of, I was going to say human animals, but sentient beings that roam it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we have all of these sentient beings roaming, us included, and all the plants. And what I really find fascinating is that this natural environment, as I heard it, I read it that compared to 
amazing, efficient machines that were constantly working to make the health, the earth a healthier planet. I mean, when we talked about Anamaya Kosha, the food body, we talked about our own personal health. So I think it's so amazing that when I started researching and reading that trees became vital for the healthy planet. So we were looking at how to find personal health. And in this, pranamaya kosha and how breath is connected to the earth's health, we have to look to the trees. And, Absolutely. Uh, and their job is to create a healthy planet. I mean, that's a pretty good job, I think. Right. And our job is to cut them down and, and make a challenge for that. You're not going to, you know, give us shade and opportunities for, you know, climate sustainability. Fuck that. <laughs> but none of this, none of this is in a vacuum either. Like it's not either our health or the earth's health, even in Anamaya Kosha. It's the relationship among all of these beings of the flora, the fauna, all of that, that are on this planet that contribute. And because we're made of the same stuff, we've determined that. Um, interesting how I read something about how can we be made of the same stuff and experience within it? You know, like, I don't know, it was kind of for me and my own kind of messed up mind, two mirrors facing each other. You know, it was this kind of, how do we, how do we know where we are in that if we are all of the same stuff? But that, that's not even part of the conversation we're having. It's just where my mind takes me. That's why I call it a messy mind. <laughs> so, you know, you can't really talk about pranamaya kosha without talking about breath. And you can't talk about breath without really talking about our lungs. So the other thing that I found is uh, the question, are trees the lungs of the earth? And that, that was, again, great clickbait for me because I'm like, I, would, I need an answer to that question. And this, is, this I'm quoting, this was the answer. Trees are sometimes called the lungs of the earth because they absorb pollutants through their leaves, trapping or sequestering and filtering contaminants out of the air. Like all green plants, trees also produce oxygen through photosynthesis. So in the same way that our lungs bring the air in and then it's filtered so that it can be circulated through our body between the heart and the lungs to feed each and every one of our cells, the trees have the same process. They're taking in the air and then filtering the pollutants so that they can send it back out. I don't know. Maybe we are trees. Messy mind moment, because I didn't look this up and this is totally coming out of the messy mind. If a tree is treated with herbicides, insecticides and all of that, is their oxygen that's coming out tainted or do, does the tree, has the tree evolved to the point where it can filter out at that level of contaminant? not just a natural contaminant. Are we breathing in tainted air? Oh, <laughs> that is a really good question that I have no answer for. <laughs> Maybe stay tuned for next season. <laughs> hey, and if you have an answer out there, email us. We've been getting some really very supportive, loving emails, which is the way we like them framed. But if you have a question or you have something you'd like to address, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. And if you have any insight or wisdom around this, we would love to hear. Just be kind, please. And as an aside, I'm just going to throw in here right now. If you send us an email, please just put like maybe in the last line or something, feel free to use this because sometimes they're so great that I would really love to share them. But in respecting each and every one of our listeners' privacy, we have not done that. So if you're going to send us something and you could just put a little note, I 
don't mind you mentioning me or mentioning just my first name, whatever that is. We would love to share your thoughts, but also honor your privacy at the same time. Yes. So I'm going to not shift gears. I'm going to play off of you mentioned wind in one of the first things you talked about, lifting up the roots. And one of the things that in my thinking about this episode, it kind of took me into my training back at the Shambhala Center in 2001 and 2002. And we, we, and I'm sure on one of the earlier episodes, I offered wind horse as a, a practice. This got me, I went back to my old notebooks and I'm looking, I can barely read my own freaking writing. It's just like, oh, let me get this down. And I take horrible notes. And it's so, there's some beautiful information about wind horse, what it is about building confidence. And just one second, I'm going to, this idea that it was offered to us as a way to build confidence and not just confidence of something that I've achieved or something that I have, and that's what's giving me the confidence, but more of an unconditional confidence that comes from just being in the world, that we get to show up fully. And I've done this several times, you know, before job interviews, before things that I get a little bit nervous about that I forget how fucking awesome I am and I need to raise the wind horse. And think about like horses. You know, there's certain wildness about them, but there's also a certain, not domesticity, but we, we do have tame horses and we've got the wild horses. Think about what it is to ride a horse and have the wind in your hair. Like these are just things to, to think about energetically because we're talking about vital life force. So this practice, of course, it's wind horse. So I started trailing off onto all these different, like yoga has more numbered lists than any fucking practice I have ever experienced. And I had taken a, a workshop with Judith Lassiter, who's an, an international teacher. She's amazing. And she said a friend of hers had actually compiled all of the lists into one document for her. And I'm like, please send that out, then publish it. We need this list. We need this book. But we've got, you know, the limbs. There are eight of those. We've got chakras. We've got the yamas and niyamas. We've got the koshas, the doshas, the vayus, the gunas. There are so many things that we that have numbers and there's so much more. That's not what this episode's about. But I did get into the vayus. And the vayus are the winds. Now, Teresa and I are yoga teachers and yoga practitioners. And so this information comes from a you know part of the yoga philosophy, but subtle body anatomy. So we move from you know gross to subtle, subtle to gross. We started with the the food body. We're in this vital energy body. But when I think about energy and I think about wind, I think about the things that we can't see but that we can feel. And what are the things that allow us to see the wind? Well, wind in your hair. It blows your hair. Wind in the leaves, blowing branches. I was the other day watching all of the, the branches just moving and thinking, wow, like I wonder what's going to fall down. Branches all over the, the neighborhood. You know, flags that fly, little wind windmills that create energy. I'm just thinking about that now. You think of a windmill, that it is working with air and wind to create actual energy to power shit that we need. So Wind is really powerful and it's really, it's an important piece of so much of our, of our existence. So in yoga, there are five values. I'm just going to go through this fairly quickly so that you have a sort of an anchor for the practice when I give it later. There are five movements or winds of prana, this life force. And I'm reading this from stuff I've gotten on the web, just so I don't want to forget anything. So within the body, raising wind horse, which in the Tibetan is lungta. Lung meaning wind and ta meaning horse. Wind horse in Tibetan Buddhism is related to the vayus, the five vital energies. So five winds, five vital energies. And this is how they kind of interact. Prana vayu, interest prana, 
The first one, it moves inward and upward, and it governs breath and heart rate. So raising wind horse can help increase the flow of prana, the vital energy responsible for proper functioning of the respiratory system. So these are subtle body, but very direct influences on physical aspects of our, of our beings. Apanavayu, now with the A in front, apana is downward. It moves downward and outward. And this governs elimination. Yeah, poop. We're talking about poop again. And reproductive functions. So wind horse can also help balance the apana, this vital energy responsible for the proper functioning of the excretory system. So these systems are at play. Samanavayu moves in a circular motion and it governs digestion and assimilation. So raising wind horse can help activate samana, the vital energy responsible for digestion and assimilating food. So our nutrients and all of those things that we're getting from the earth and all of those beautiful flavors. Udanavayu moves upward and outward, and it governs speech and expression. So in some of these, you can even overlay the chakras. You know, there's Vishuddha there. There's, you know, other subtle body systems that overlay. We talk a lot about maps and patterns and how we how they interact with each other. So Udanavayu um, governs speech and expression. With wind horse, it can help activate Udana, the vital energy responsible for the proper functioning of vocal cords and speech. And the final one is Vyanavayu, and that moves throughout the body, and it governs circulation and movement. So raising wind horse can help activate Vyana, the vital energy responsible for proper circulation of blood and other bodily fluids throughout the body. So you can see how these, these subtle, more ethereal aspects of these practices, they interact, there's relationship, there's cause and effect. So, you know, like anything else, we can do this in a positive, productive, you know, essential, vital way, or we can practice these things in ways that don't necessarily serve us. And within those two choices is a whole space of gray that, you know, to be determined later. So wind horse, which, like I said before, has a whole history. It's got a mythology attached. There's lots of tributaries from this main, main river of wind horse. But for today, I'm going to throw the practice in here since I've done all of the, the preliminary kind of setup for it. And you can do it anytime, anywhere. Fuck anyone who's going to give you any attitude. So the first thing you're going to do, like any practice, is you take a nice tall seat. There are five syllables, which should be no surprise. One, two, three, four, five. Yep. First one is kiki, which is also like chi. It's vital. It's this is where you take your seat. You feel the ground beneath you. There's a certain solidity beneath you. So you're feeling supported. Kiki. The next syllables are so-so. And these will be in the show notes and I'll send them in the newsletter. If you're not on the newsletter, get on the newsletter. Um, second ones are so-so. And so-so is about recognizing duality and the duality of the horizon line and what's above it. So there's, you know, the sky above and the earth below. We have this this vision of duality in nature when we look outside. And so we recognize that. The next syllable is ashe, A-S-H-E, ashe. And that's when we collapse the dualities, where we see the horizon and the sky meet, where the earth and the sky meet right at the horizon line. We collapse the duality and recognize this experience of oneness. This that, And then this is a sound, hala, hala. It's not like a, but it's hala. And that's 
touching into a universal heart of sadness. There's a sense of downward gaze where you touch into this feeling like we all share this universal heart of sadness. That, and I said it last week and probably should have phrased it differently, but no one gets out of this life alive. So we share this, this experience. Then we get to complete the practice by lifting our gaze, opening our eyes and radiating our vitality and goodness out into the world. And this comes from the Shambhala lineage by Chogyam, Rung, Chung, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who sort of was the daddy of it. And so there's this feeling, there's, there's, a, there's a Buddhist, a Tibetan Buddhist flavor to it, this radiating of joy. This, and it's also about our basic goodness, that we all have this basic goodness. So kiki, so-so, ashe, kla, gyalo, take your seat, recognize duality, collapse that duality, touch the heart of sadness, and then radiate your vital joy into the world. And it, you know, until you practice it a few times, you may be like, I don't know if you're skeptical or, you know, this is not for me. And it's not for everyone. If you don't feel like doing it, don't fucking do it. But if you feel like doing it and get curious about the cause and effect of these syllables, these, the meaning behind them and the intention with your own breath and vitality, I, you know, please go out and, and do it and let us know how it goes but not after the first time, like do it for a month or a week, or, you know, you've got five things that you're doing that you're feeling a little, let's see about, do it, raise, raise wind horse, lungta, and then, you know, give us some feedback. Yeah. I can't wait to practice it. And uh, adding to that, and this is not the right medium to introduce mudras, but there's a mudra for each one of the values as well. And wouldn't it be fun to be able to go through the practice and also have a beautiful hand gesture that goes with it. So I see those coming up in some sort of a medium where you can see it maybe at camp this year or rhythm and rhyme, but uh, yes, to add the hand gesture and just keep making these practices more rich and comprehensive by combining different things. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, you know, I've taught some breath and pranayama classes in the past. And I remember once I had this gentleman in my class and he was like, so I'm in your class and I'm, you know, I don't know, I'm going to say 55, but I'm making up his age. He, he was on the earth and he walked around uh, the sun many times. And he's like, and now you're going to teach me to breathe? Like I've been breathing since the, you know, the second that I was born, I took a breath in. But it's important to recognize that there is whatever breath we default to. And as our emotions change, you mentioned this as well, Sherry, that, you know, so does the breath pattern. We can tell when we're really excited and we start talking fast and having such a great time. Or maybe if I'm feeling sad and lonely, my voice might change, but so does my breath. And by understanding the vitality that comes with different types of breathing patterns, we change the physiology in the body. We can take a slow exhale and calm the systems of the body. We can breathe fast and go out and run for the marathon and excite all the systems of the body. So, you know, breath is much more complicated than getting slapped on the butt, and hopefully they don't do that anymore. Um, I know that they tap babies on the feet now instead of the little tap on the butt. But anyway, that first breath is kind of uh, reflexive, like welcome to the world, like 
no, I'm out here. But we can really spend a significant amount of time studying and practicing so many different ways of breathing. And the values are just one of those many examples. I don't know if there's a list for how many different prana perfectionists there are apparently that we have a long list, but for the values as well, what do we want to accomplish and how can we bring a breath pattern that will help to facilitate, like you had mentioned, the eliminatory system or the reproductive system? Can we turn to how do we speak directly to our body and what helps different systems work more efficiently? Yes. And you know, since, and we've talked about this too, that the breath is part of the autonomic nervous system, which is why it breathes for us and that we can sleep and breathe and not have to think about it. But because we also can deliberately move the breath, that that should give us a cue as to what the power is, that you can manipulate these different practices. And yes, there's a book, Iyengar has a book called Light on Pranayama, and there are a lot of books on pranayama out there. And I would suggest if you, you know, get really get into it, find a teacher because there's a lot of potential pitfalls and you, you want to just play it safe also. But in terms of our stewardship of the planet, there are plenty of us walking around automatons, you know, as if working from our, and I'm going to use the autonomic nervous system as a metaphor, you know, walking around just expecting that the earth is going to be there, that it's going to do its thing and that we just get to live our lives and, you know, that if when I flick that cigarette butt, which I used to do, I fucking love that. Let's see how far I can flick it. But if I flick that cigarette butt, that's, there's no consequence to that. There's, I'm just, you know, the world will be the same for my kids as it was for me. And we already know that that's not true, whether or not it's naturally occurring or we have had some influence on it. And I think that both can be true at the same time. But so we also get to be deliberate humans on this planet. You know, animals are going to operate from their instinctual levels and they're going to, you know, operate from their food chain place. They're going to, you know, predator or prey or do their thing, but they're not going to consciously move and say, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to eat that bunny today. I think I'll let that bunny go. You know, there's none of that going. But as humans, because we have consciousness and we have the ability to discern and make choices, we also have the ability to walk around as automatons and not really give a shit. But if you give a shit, then you're going to make different kinds of choices. And so part of these practices that we do that are on our own cushion, that are on our own mats, that are sometimes in community and sometimes alone, every single one of them is an opportunity to go in and notice. So noticing your breath pattern is different than changing your breath pattern. Noticing that it's shallow when you're, you know, feeling anxious or uptight about something is different than, you know, needing to ramp up your energy and going, okay, I'm going to and do some Kabbalah Bhati, which I shouldn't do right now, this breath of fire, because I have high blood pressure. So there's a lot of different things that we need to know how to do it. But once we know that taking a deep breath in and extending our exhale to at least the same length as the inhale, if not longer, will activate a certain sense of calm in the, in the parasympathetic nervous system, then we have tools we can actually work with. And once we know that we can work with ourselves, then we can also deliberately move into the world and work in a, in a more conscious way there. Yeah. Which leads me to the, let the earth breathe article that I read, because it is, we, the more we understand, I find the body fascinating and there's, you know, there's just, I don't think I'll ever get to the end of understanding how all these systems work, no matter how fascinating I think it is, but learning how controlling the breath can 
be of such great influence and power over the other systems in the body was like one of my past aha moments. One of those things that I was like, ah, it was almost a dumb moment. Like, yeah, you already knew that. But when I read about it, it became one of those moments that has been a great influence. But let the earth breathe. And this article is really about, and it'll be in the show notes linked if you want it from uh, Lumina.com. The, the lens that the, the article was exploring was how much the earth was able to breathe during the pandemic. And whether we want to talk about the pandemic from there's so many different lenses, but we're, we're just the only way that I'm going to speak about it right now is that we were at home. Our cars weren't on the roads. Some businesses were unfortunately shut down and that there's been many influences. But from the lens of the earth could breathe, we took our pollutants off the road. And the sky. And the sky and stayed home. And the earth got to breathe pure air again. And people commented, I remember hearing about people talking about, one, how creepy it was to be out on the roads and not see any cars. But two, you know, I, I heard in different places that are have high pollution, that they could see the sky, that that blanket that covered had been lifted and the earth could breathe again. And the reason that I find it fascinating to read Let the Earth Breathe Again is COVID was a, a virus that affected the lungs and our ability to breathe. And then what happened as an end result of the lockdown and people staying at home was a clearing of the air. So I like metaphors. I like when things have like this nice symbiotic relationship. And that's just a fact. We took the cars off and the and the air cleared. And so this is really fun. It had 10 different ways since we're talking about lists. And the first one, I, I don't know that I'll get through all of them in the podcast because I don't want to read everything to you when you'll have the article in the show notes. But the first one on their list was delete unwanted emails. And it really captured my attention. I was like, what does that have to do with having cleaner air? And I'm going to read, um, I am going to read this one because it was interesting because it starts, why do emails have such a ne negative impact on the environment? In order to process an email, energy is required. Additionally, this is used in manufacturing of the computer and services, server systems, as well as in their operation. In order to generate energy, fossil fuel power plants need carbon fuels like coal, oil, and gas. And this can cause climate change that can harm the environment. This all makes sense, but this is the part. Somewhere, emails that are sent over the internet are being archived for future reference. As a general rule, they are kept on various servers throughout the globe. Large data centers house these, service, these servers, which use enormous quantities of power every day. And the majority of the world's power still comes from fossil fuels, which contribute to global carbon dioxide emissions. This is why emails directly contribute to the production of greenhouse gases. Fuck. Was, right? Oh, I, my I, God. I mean, 
How many emails, anybody who's listening, how many emails are in your inbox? And Email us. Let us know. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll delete it after we read it. Oh, Um, my God. But who I never, ever would have thought about where are these things. And half of my, I mean, I would probably say 90% of the things I haven't deleted yet are trash. Same here. So, you yeah. know, n- neither of us are perfect. Or neither of us is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do our best. And so we're hoping that the more people we talk to, the, the better, the little changes that we can make will make a big difference. But that, you know, I'd heard about that with cryptocurrency. That, you know, the the energy that it was required to play this game that is just, I mean, money is already an agreed, an agreement. It's done, there's no value in the paper except the fact that we give it value. So why do we need to, this just, it was nuts. But all that energy, and I'm kind of glad that that industry is imploding, <laughs> if it is at all. Maybe it was just a couple of the, the businesses, but yeah. like, it just feels so unnecessary. I progress for progress sake, I, I don't know anything for anything's sake. What's the why? Why, why, why? Like, do we really need? I remember when <laughs> the big issue with children was they couldn't tie their shoes or tell time because of Velcro and digital clocks. Mm. Like, those were the things that, you know, oh, my God. I used to do a metaphor in class lying on the back that, you know, imagine there's a clock face on the circle. And I got to a point where there were some people who were like, what? What do you mean? Like, just to sort of go around because of the digital thing. Now, like, how easy do we have to make our lives before we're, you know, self-parking cars, self-driving cars? You know, there's just so much that is designed to make our lives easier. And I wonder about evolution, like those parts of our brains that are fired up by doing these activities. They won't be necessary anymore. We're all going to be walking around just like, you know, they used to say TV was the opiate of them or religion. Or television was the boob tube, but they're both sort of opiates of the masses, you know, getting us to a point where we can be controlled. But that's for the conspiracy episode that we'll probably never do. <laughs> so, yeah, breath. Breathing. Breath. Oh, yeah. So everybody, Vitality. take a nice deep breath, right? Just feel what that feels like. Just take a nice, soft or deep, whatever kind of breath you feel like for wherever you are and notice what it feels like for your body to breathe. What parts of the body do you notice move when you have an inhale? And think of that in terms of watching the trees blow. Earlier, Sherry mentioned, like, how do we see the air? And maybe it's the, our hair blowing in the breeze or the leaves blowing, or sometimes there's just that one leaf that's like riding along the sidewalk and this little current that, that captures it. Well, it definitely captures Siva's attention. She wants to <laughs> run after that, but If you just take a a breath and notice what it feels like in your body to have air enter it, right? We do it so often. We breathe without any conscious thought, without any conscious effort. And the lungs expand in 365 degrees, front body, side body, back body, right? They go up, they go down. Coming back to our values, we can direct them to do different things. But can we really stop for a minute and just notice what prana feels like when it comes into your body? What is your breath pattern right now? And can you notice the vitality that is riding the breath? It's that subtle. Like, can you notice that little bit of a difference between just breathing and when your life force is, in, is activated? 
you know, in Ayurveda, they have the three doshas. People say kapha, but I didn't think that there was a PHF sound in Sanskrit. I thought it was kapha, but I never actually heard that. I just kind of extrapolated from the limited knowledge that I have. And then there's vata and vata is air. And one of the things that I had learned in my, in my very, very brief experience with Ayurveda was that we're all vata imbalanced because air is the most unstable of the elements and that it's always changing and shifting and moving. And so if that's true, and so I say it's an if-then statement because none of this, it, at least from, from my end right now, is empirical data. It's just if that's true that the vata air energy is unstable and it's moving and it's constantly changing, then there's something to be said for the impermanence and constant changing in our own experiences of vitality, of our breath, of our relationship to our breathing and the world, because the pulsation of the world also probably has its own shifts, ebbs and flows. Like managing all of this energy is can be exhausting or it can be revitalizing. Like there's so many ways to approach this work. And the observation is the part of it. And then, you know, the enlightenment part, if that's what you're going for, is when the object and subject, when the seer and the scene become one. And so in this, in this experiment of movement and change and impermanence and observation, there's a lot of data to collect and there's a lot of experience that we hold in our bodies. And this comes back to the stories that our bodies hold and tell. And so if you're having difficulty accessing a story that, man, there's a memory or there's, and Sadhguru, I think it was Sadhguru, we were talking about a lot about him these days, but talked about memory being the one thing that we take with us. And it's not just the memory of ideas or experiences, but the physical memory that we hold in our bodies, the ancestral generational memories that have been planted by those who came before us. All of this, you know, in a world of impermanence and breath and energy and movement, it can be overwhelming. So, you know, one step at a time, wherever you are, just take that next step. That next breath. That next breath. Yeah. And that energy does go to every cell. When he was talking about memory and programming, I think he also said not one cell in the body can work without memory. You know, when I think of memory, I always think of, oh, it's in my brain, right? My brain yeah. remembers everything. It tells me all the stories. Sometimes it never shuts up <laughs> um, for good or Cellular bad. Cellular memory. Yeah. yeah, lately I've been having a song stuck in my head. Now, of course, that I said that, I don't remember <laughs> what the song was, but it's been playing for days and I just keep saying, what are you doing? Anyway, I digress. Memory is That's not what we're here for. Digress, digress, digress. Yes, digressing <laughs> in casual conversations, but that each and every one of our cells has its own memory. So it knows how to do its job. And this is Teresa adding to things that she's learned, heard. So more casual conversation. Each and every one of those cells is powered by oxygen, right? Because as the air circulates through our body and the blood and oxygenates those cells, hey, maybe that's how the tree grew in that guy's lung. Yeah, that is, I love that. I love this idea of cellular memory. And I know we've talked a little bit about this. I don't know if it was on the show or not, but the book, The Clan of the Cave Bear, which I, I never read. Love the whole, that. Right? I never read the whole series, but I read the first one. My husband loved the whole series. But this Isla was the main girl mm -hmm. who was living in the cave. But the, the idea of the healer in those communities, these cave communities, was that they couldn't teach anyone else the art or craft of healing they were born into that lineage. 
So it was their, their, they were born with all of the knowledge they needed to keep their community healthy. And, you know, they were the medicine women. And so it was really important that they procreate. It was really important that they, you know, stay well so that they could pass it on to their next generation. I thought that was fucking, that's like the one thing I remember from that book. I mm -hmm. love the book, but I, that's the one thing that I have, you know, regenerated over time and talked about is this idea of not just cellular memory, but actual, you know, just coming in, knowing stuff. Maybe that's past lives too for for those we could have an episode on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally casual conversation on past lives. Past lives. Go to you the know, past lives uh, pavilion. <laughs> when I used to commute, I commuted 90 miles each way to work. So I drove a lot. And when I would go to the library to get my cassette tape so I could listen to books on tape, you know, free Amazon download audibles. But uh, because I drove so much, the only criteria I had for a book was that it had to have more than 13 cassettes because I knew that if it was a short book, I needed something to keep me interested in getting back in my car to find out what happened to the story. So I love that series because not only were they long, so they each had a lot of cassette tapes. Sorry for the environment because I know that's all plastic and stuff. But there was a series of books that I could listen to. And the other thing that she did was she created in the, in the story, she created fire. And it was an accident for her that, I mean, she wasn't trying to create fire. She just had the flint and the steel and, and she was rubbing the rocks. I can't remember the entire story, but fire started. So another reason why she had reverence as the healer from her tribe was she found a way for people to have heat, to clean their water, to cook their food, and she could ride a horse. And they thought that was fascinating too. Horse, wind horse. Wind horse, we got horses galore here. But when she started the fire, for whatever reason, like, I mean, it's been 25 years since I listened to this. I remember that she was blowing on it and the fire got bigger. So air and breath, um, you know, you can't have fire without air. That's true. That's true. So we need, we need that uh, still coming back to prana and the energy that is created by feeding your fire more air. Now, a little short aside, some people might remember that I used to travel in my RV and in the RV, we had a leaf blower because sometimes you would get to a place and there's a whole bunch of leaves in the way. And while you're setting up camp, you're going to want to clean the space or everything out there is going to wind up in the RV. I know it's glamping. I get it. But, and this is, was really a bad thing because it's such a waste of energy. But if I couldn't get the fire going, I would get the leaf blower and like blow it on the embers. Poof. The fire it didn't, was... it didn't blow the embers everywhere. Oh no, you have to, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's a very technical technique of making sure you push the button slowly. So oh, the air comes out. Oh, and that's so funny. The flame would come up. And at Kripalu, when I did my training in October for outdoor leadership, we did the first stages of learning how to create fire with flint and steel. No matches, although they did suggest you always have matches with you, but. Um, In a waterproof bag or container. Yes, because um, we need that fire and we'll have, we already have the air. We need the fire to do all the rest of the things. Yeah. And it's interesting because I saw somewhere, and I don't know, I, when I was kind of playing around on the interwebs, uh, the, uh, that the element of pranamaya kosha is water. 
But water, H2O, I mean, it also has oxygen in it. It's got, you know, all of the the things we've been talking about. In terms of like directing our vital energy through our breath, I, when you were talking and I was laughing and I thought laughter, you know, laughter is an expression of, of joyful breathing. And I've taught l- laughter yoga only a handful of times. I've never been trained, but I, I did my YouTube training, you know, after 25 years of being an actual yoga person, practitioner and teacher. And what was fascinating to me, the first time I taught it was in a studio setting, was how manipulated it felt and how deliberate and almost not inauthentic, but it felt contrived. Contrived was the word I was looking for. Go, ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. Doesn't feel like that organic laughter that you get to. Ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. We are directing our vitality through our breath in very deliberate. And even there were certain activities like going up to shake someone's hand, like, ha, 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 ho, 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 And just, <laughs> or, you know, cooking. <laughs> and you know, I'm stirring a pot here. I'm miming the things. But the alchemy of that practice, every time I did it, like I said, it's only been a handful of times, but enough to create a pattern was that only it only took a few of the contrived, manipulated ha-ha-ho-ho's before people were riotously laughing or unable to control their laughter. And I thought that was just really fascinating. Now, part of it is the fact that I am I'm shamelessly a clown, so I'm running around doing all sorts of silly shit too. Uh, but I wonder, it's... How much of that is sort of just building momentum before your body just recognizes the pattern of laughter and is is out there? Now, pranayama is directed breath. It's sort of a controlled breathing we are directing. So once we get into that like uncontained laughter and joy, I don't think it's pranayama anymore. And I'm not even sure laughter yoga is a pranayama exercise. But I, I did find that that was an interesting pattern that arose. Yeah, I remember. Oh, oh, we did that in camp, and I have some fabulous videos. I was taking some photographs while you were leading the group, and oh my goodness, I was hysterical because, and I wasn't even participating. I was doing, I was capturing the video footage, and I bet you there's camera shakes because laughter is contagious and it is fabulous medicine. Uh, but everybody had such a great time. And just think about, you know, how much you oxygenate your body if you're laughing. And I mean, that's a fast breath. There's lots coming in and such an excitatory way to invigorate and feel your prana flowing through your body is to be hysterical, laughing, and then just stop and feel how the fingers have that little tingles in it. You can, I always like when I can stop it. This sometimes happens to me with food as well. Certain meals, especially if they're really healthy meals, sometimes it's a salad and I'll stop and I'll be like, oh, I love that meal because I can feel it moving through my body. And I don't know if I actually feel it or I just like am enjoying it so much that there's this sensation of movement. But when you can feel the prana flowing through your body, uh, that's when you know you really, really have a life. <laughs> uh, I think we, I, I have, do you have a practice? Do you have things that you want to add? I'm kind of feeling like I've I, I think I'm expressed good. all that I need to express. I have expressed all I need to express. <laughs> I've offered many breath practices in the past and, you know, I'll just go to something simple. 
lengthen that exhale anytime you're standing online and getting a little agitated or if you know you have to go into a meeting or you're going to get up and present something. Anytime you think that you need to just like take it down a notch and calm your system and be prepared, just stop and, you know, regular breaths, but just let the exhale linger on its way out and notice what happens in how your heart is pounding or the butterflies in your stomach. Just notice the change. So lengthen those exhales, people, especially if you're driving on 95, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, we're in we're in Pennsylvania. Route 95 is kind of a little busy and crazy. Interstate. Oh, interstate. interstate. All right. So by the time this comes out, the early bird registration for Yoga Fest in Bucks County will have already started. I think you probably just have today because it's from the 24th through the 31st, and this one drops on the 30th. So you have one day to get the early bird registration, which is a nice deal. And it'll be in the show notes. All of it's in the show notes and the newsletter. So email us and then delete it when you're done. Um, and if you use the code Teresa Yoga Fest, whatever, 2023, it's on the thing too, or Sherry Yoga Fest 2023, you'll get an extra $15 off of the early bird. So it's really worth doing. So you got one more day, people. Use your vital energy to sign up if you're in the Bucks County area or able to get there for the day. It's going to be very, very cool. This is one of those things that if you miss, you'll be like, oh, shit, I can't believe I missed that. How did I not know that was going on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been watching uh, Trina. Trina's the host. I've been watching her posts because she's highlighting all of the amazing teachers that are going to be at Bucks County Yoga Fest. And yeah, you definitely want to come out and spend the day uh hang out with a bunch of peace loving yogis there might be some motherfucker yogis too like let's not sometimes you know, let's not limit it to the peace and love because remember what you've always said we can go from peace to fuck you in like no time at all but one that's, finger it's that's just, just one a, finger right 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 so you know come be come as you are and leave transformed and we are presenting, obviously, so we would love to see you. We are going to continue with this theme, right? As our presentation kosha yoga. is Kosha Yoga. So not only are we leading up to Earth Day, we kicked off our podcast with the Koshas. We're revisiting them now for Earth Day. And guess what? Yoga Fist, Kosha Yoga. See you on your mat. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and all our other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.